Hollywood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Good morning. Uh, It's great that we have the chance to be together today and the chance to once again worship our awesome and mighty God together. And uh, if you were with us last Sunday, you know that we uh, embarked on a five-week series entitled A Father's Stories, where we are looking at some of the stories that parents tell their children, famous Bible stories. We're looking at them uh, from the eyes of an adult. You know, every night I read my son some stories, and some of his favorites are from these L. Linval Read Aloud Bible Story books. And as I've read them to him over and over again, I've, I've come to realize that there is just some, some great truth for us as we read them and come to realize that really these stories are stories about our Heavenly Father, for us, His children, so that we might understand Him more, so that we might follow Him and trust Him more. And so we're walking through this series and looking at some of those stories. Last week we began the series by looking at the account of creation from Genesis 1, and today we're going to continue by looking at the story of David and Goliath from 1 Samuel 17. Uh, But before we look at that passage today, uh, let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for today and for this time and place. Father, you saw today from eternity past, and so who is here is is not by accident. And Father, the passage we're looking at uh, is from your word, and so we know that you have promised to always speak through your word, and so I pray that we would hear from you today, and that your spirit that resides within the hearts of all who know you would illuminate the text in such a way that we could understand what you would have us to see from this passage. Father, I pray that you would just protect me from saying anything that uh, you wouldn't want said. But if I do say something that you wouldn't want said, I pray that it would just quickly be forgotten. But Father, anything that I share today that you would want us to hear, I pray that we would remember it, we would believe it, we would walk forward in it in faith so that we might be shaped more into the image of your Son. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. We know it's possible for a product to become so iconic that it becomes representative, the name of the product becomes representative for an even larger category. Uh, We're we're familiar with this in a lot of areas. Uh, Take a Coke, for instance. Have you ever walked into a restaurant and said, yeah, I'll take a Coke, and they ask you, what kind? And you answer, Dr. Pepper. That's an example of how we have taken a brand name and it's become so iconic, it's representative of the larger class of, of, uh, of products. Uh, take an iPod, for example. People talk about listening to music or a podcast on their iPod, even if it's made by Sony, who used to corner the market with their Walkman. Those are iconic names that have become representative of an entire category of products. If you cut yourself... Instead of asking for a bandage, you ask for a band-aid. It's a name that has become representative of the, the larger thing, even though it's a trademark thing. If your nose is running, you say, I need a Kleenex. Could you hand me that box of puffs? What are we talking about? We need a tissue, but we've come to represent Kleenex with the larger category of thing. How about, how about this? How many of you have ever said, I need to go home and TiVo that? Now, how many of you actually own a TiVo? Right? Nobody owns a TiVo, but we TiVo things all the time because of that, the, the name TiVo has become representative for recording digital video content 
on our television. It's possible for something to become so iconic, it becomes representative of something greater. And you know, the passage that we're going to look at today in Scripture, the passage of David and Goliath from 1 Samuel 17, is possibly one of the most iconic passages in all of the Bible. See, our culture has taken David and Goliath and made it iconic of the underdog winning the fight. We do this a lot in sports, right? Uh, The 1980 hockey team, it was David and Goliath, the U.S. versus Russia. In the mid-80s, college basketball, it was Georgetown Villanova. In the early 90s, it was Buster Douglas knocking out Mike Tyson. Uh, This year, it was Butler tackling Duke in the finals of the championship. We called those David and Goliath moments because the little guy was trying to take down the big guy. And when it it happens, when the little guy wins, we celebrate it as a David and Goliath moment because that story has become iconic for the underdog winning the battle. But you know what? As I read 1 Samuel 17, as I looked at that passage again this week, I, I really saw something. And that is that we've got the iconic moment backwards. You see, we think that the underdog won because little David beat big Goliath. But in reality, big Goliath was taking on the living God. And you know what? That's OU versus Prairie View A&M. A true David and Goliath moment is when the big guy wins, despite the bravado of the one who thinks they're invincible. And this morning, we're going to look at the story of David and Goliath and find out a little more about what God might want us to do as a response of faith to his word. Now, we're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's a long chapter, 50-some-odd verses. And so uh, I'm going to catch us up to speed rather than reading every verse so that we can hit the ground running in the passage. Uh, this, this story is fairly familiar to us. You see, there was a conflict in the land of Palestine between the Philistines and the Israelites. See, God had promised the land of Palestine to the Israelites, and as they had gone into the land, they had to clear the land of the current inhabitants, some of which were the Philistines. And the struggles between the Israelites and the Philistines went on and on and on and on and on. And there were a number of conflicts between those two groups of people. One of those conflicts happened while Saul was king of Israel, and it happened in a a valley about 14 miles from the city of Bethlehem. And this valley was surrounded by two mountains, and on one mountain stood the armies of the Philistines, and on the other mountain stood the armies of the nation of Israel, and they were set to, to square off in an epic battle royal. But just before that fight began... The Philistines pushed out to the front of the line their epic warrior, Goliath. The Bible tells us he was nine and a half feet tall. Interesting, if you're interested in this kind of thing, some of the ancient literature of, the, of Egypt and other surrounding nations talked about the Philistines having some really big warriors at this time, some nine feet tall. Goliath, nine and a half feet tall, steps out in front of the line of the Philistines. And he begins shouting over at the Israelites, let's take care of this mano y mano, me against your best fighter in the, on the, in the valley below. 
The winner wins the whole fight. Now, the Philistines would have been motivated for this tactic for two reasons. This was a tactic that was used in in ancient warfare to save a lot of lives. Rather than a thousand on a thousand, it would be one on one, and whoever won would save a large amount of human casualties, and so there would have been some motivation by the Philistines to go that route. But it also was their motivation because they thought, we've got Goliath. We're looking over there. None of those guys look as big as our guy, and so we're going to put our guy against their guy. We're going to win. We're going to save this battle. We'll be home in time to watch golf this afternoon. I mean, they were thinking this was an easy victory. And so the Philistines call out the Israelites. But what happens is, as Goliath calls out the Israelites, the Israelites are scared. The Israelites run back. They hide in their tents. They begin talking among themselves. There is no way we're going to go out and fight this nine-and-a-half-foot warrior. That is suicide. We're not going to do it. And so on and on, day after day, Goliath goes out and issues this challenge. And day after day, the Israelites hide in their tents. Now, about that time, David, who was the son of Jesse, David had three older brothers who were fighting in Saul's army, in the Israelite army. Uh, David was not fighting with them. David had two part-time jobs at this stage of his life. One of his part-time jobs was tending his father's sheep. His other part-time job was playing the harp for King Saul. Um, So the harp player herder is back with his dad in the fields of Bethlehem. And David's father, Jesse, says, David, why don't you take some food for your brothers and for their commanders and see how things are going on the battlefront. So David gathers up some stuff and he goes to the front lines and it's there where we'll pick up the story where David joins the Israelites in their fight against the Philistines. If you've got a Bible, open up to 1 Samuel 17, beginning down about uh, verse 22 or so. Um, as we're going to see three things this morning, three applications, three responses that we can have by faith as we look at this father's story of David and Goliath. So, we see the first thing that we need to see here is this, that we need to listen. We need to listen in life with a spiritual ear. We need to listen in life with a spiritual ear. What do I mean by that? Well, what I mean is that the nation of Israel had getting, been getting an earful from Goliath. They had been hearing over and over and over again, you know, bring your best, let's meet on the floor of the valley, let's settle this like men. They kept hearing that, but they weren't hearing it with any kind of spiritual ears, they were hearing it with physical ears, and they were scared to death. They were running and they were hiding in their tents. Even King Saul was cowering from this opponent. King Saul was hiding in his tent, not wanting to go out and fight the mighty Philistine. Uh, Look at what it says over in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 and 2 about Saul. It says, There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, son of Zeror, son of Becherath, son of Aphiah, a Benjamite, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, King Saul a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. And listen to this. From his shoulders upward, Saul was taller than any of the people. That's kind of a funny phrase, from his shoulders upward. What that passage is saying is that Saul was head and shoulders taller than anybody else in Israel. 
Saul was the tallest man. That's part of the reason why he got to be king. Saul was supposedly the toughest warrior. If there was anyone on the Israeli sidelines that could have gone down and met Goliath and looked him even close to in the eye, it probably would have been Saul. And yet Saul was cowering back as well. All of Israel was cowering in the face of the giant. And that's when David showed up. Look at what it says in chapter 17. After hearing, verse 16, for 40 days the Philistine coming forward and taking his stand both morning and evening, after hearing that over and over and over again, David shows up. And it says in verse 22, David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage, and he ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. And as he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, and David heard him. For 40 days, the Israeli army had heard Goliath bellowing on, and it interpreted it as mortal fear and certain death. David shows up, and for the first time, he hears Goliath carrying on. But unlike the rest of the nation of Israel, David has a little bit of a different reaction. How does David react to what he heard? Verse 26 gives us a clue. Verse 26 says that David said, For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God. You see, David heard what was going on, but he heard it with a little bit different understanding. He heard it with a spiritual ear. He said, wait a second. There's some guy out there, some Philistine, not a giant, not a killer, not certain death. There's some guy out there who's defying the living God. And something must be done about this guy. He heard it with a different ear. This is what I think David was doing. See, while the rest of Israel was measuring their problem with a human ruler, with them as the, as, as the basic instrument, David decided to measure it against God. See, the rest of Israel looked at themselves and looked at Goliath and said, he is much bigger than us, that is certain death for us. David looked at the situation and said, he may be nine and a half feet tall, but our God is much bigger than that. David measured the situation by a different ruler. David looked at the situation and heard it with a spiritual ear. And that caused him to have a totally different interpretation of what was going on. David heard things with a spiritual ear. You know, when you think about your life, the life that you live. You know, most of us will not be called out by a nine and a half foot giant to go wage war on a valley floor below. But you know what? A lot of us, if not all of us, are going to face gigantic issues in our life. There are going to be things that come along that look gigantic to us. They look so big, they look like they're going to crush us. Things we find out, we've got cancer. Or other health problems. You find out that the relationship is falling apart and it looks like there's no saving it. Things like there's opposition that you're facing within a peer group, your family, or at work, where people are opposing you, are persecuting you, are looking down on you because of your faith in Christ. 
Whatever the circumstance is, you think about your life, what are the gigantic issues that you're facing? My guess is that you're facing some. You're looking across the valley and you're going, that looks like it could crush me. And if you're not there now, you probably will be soon. What do we do when that happens? Well, this, this passage would indicate that we need to listen to that situation with a little bit of a different ear. We need to measure that situation with a little bit of a different ruler. We need to compare it not to ourselves because there are a lot of things that look bigger than us. We need to compare it to God himself. And God is bigger than any one of our problems. You know, I I was thinking about this in light of my own experience. And some of you know, you've heard me talk about this over the last six months or so. The last six months have been uh, an interesting ride for the Robinson family. And it started back in January when Kimberly had a simple surgery, supposed to be outpatient. There were some complications. She ended up not being able to breathe on a ventilator with a trach tube installed, and it started us down this road. And God has been so gracious to provide in all of that. Kimberly's doing so well right now. But when it it all started, it looked gigantic to me. It looked gigantic to her. It was just a huge, huge thing. I remember on one particular night, I just wanted to run in my tent and hide. I thought, what is this going to mean? Is this, am I going to have to raise my son by myself? Is my wife going to die? Is she going to be in, incapacitated to the point that, that uh, it's not going to be the same as it ever was before? It just looked gigantic, and I felt like there was no hope, and I just wanted to crawl in my tent and hide. And, and you know what? If, if you've gone through some rough experiences in your life, you probably have felt that way from time to time. When we do that, it's interesting, what we're doing is we're comparing the size of our problem to ourselves, and it looks like there is no hope. One of the things that happens when we listen to our lives with a spiritual ear is we begin to compare things not to our size, but to God himself. And that allows us to grow up in our life and in our faith. You know, it's interesting that the size of things is relative to what we're comparing it to. The things that are big to you are things bigger than you. Things that are small to you are things that are smaller than you. They're relative terms, right? If you want proof of that, think about the hill you used to ride your bike on when you were a kid. In your mind, it is enormous. Go back home now and look at it. I got worked up over that. It's a little bitty hill. I mean, you'd have thought that in my mind, my, my driveway was at the pitch of Everest, you know? But, but I, I go back home, and it's just no big deal. Why is that? Well, when I was little, it was huge. I'm bigger now. It's not quite so large. Size is dependent upon what we're gauging it against. And many times in our lives, we want to compare things just to ourselves, and they look gigantic. But when we listen to life with a spiritual ear, as David did here, we begin to compare things not to us but to God, and we realize that there's hope in all things. See, David listened to life with a spiritual ear. The question is, are we? A second application I think we can see from the story of David and Goliath, his father's story, is that we can learn in life with spiritual experiences. We can learn in life with spiritual experiences. See, David learned how to trust God in the face of giants earlier on in his life. And you wonder, how did David get that faith? How did David get the faith to charge out onto the field and fight Goliath? Well, David got that faith from some experiences he had growing up, some experiences he had as a sheep herder, 
uh, back in the day, tending his father's sheep. See, we, we, we find this out because David, when he decides that he's going to go out and fight Goliath, follows a chain of command and goes and tells Saul, Saul, I'm your guy. I'm going to go out onto the, to the valley floor below, and I'm going to attack this Philistine giant. And beginning in verse 31, he says, when the, when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. In other words, David, get real. I'm not going to send you out on a suicide mission. From the time you were in diapers, he's been tearing apart people twice your size. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, verse 37, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Where did David get the faith to attack Goliath? David got the faith to attack Goliath because God had taught him how to trust him over the course of his life, even as he was a shepherd. You see, we might look at this and say, David has no relevant experience for attacking giants on valley floors in pivotal national battles. And you know what? The truth is, David had never done that before. But David had faith because God had taught him that faith through other experience that we probably would view as irrelevant, experience tending sheep back in his father's fields. But see, David knew that what made his experience tending sheep relevant was not that he was attacking giants, but because he was trusting God. You see, he was trusting God in the field against the sheep, uh, with the sheep against the lion and the bear, And because God had proven faithful there and had delivered him there, David had full expectation that God would also be at work in whatever other struggles he went up against. And so David said, just as God delivered me in this instance, God will deliver me before Goliath as well. You know, that, that little truth that we learn faith through experience Uh, is a great thing for us to remember. It says a lot about our past and our present. What it says about our past is that it's relevant. It says about our past that God was developing in us things in our past to help prepare us for whatever He has us facing today. Your past experiences were opportunities for you to develop faith so that God would not have you enter today unprepared. You know, when you think about having cancer, you get that call. I've never had cancer before. How am I supposed to deal with this? Well, the reality is that God has taken you through experience after experience. Maybe he's taken you through the experience of parenting. He's taken you through the experience of marriage. He's taken you through the experience of of broken relationship. He's taken you through the experience of whatever. And those were opportunities for you to learn to trust God with this to prepare you for trusting Him today with cancer. 
You think about relational difficulties today. How has God prepared me for that? I feel unprepared. The reality is that God was probably building into you faith by, as you trusted him in the past, preparing you for the present. I was thinking about this as a, as a parent. You know, how, how do you become ready? You know, I, I've got a three-year-old. It's my oldest child. How, how, do you get, uh, how do you become prepared as a parent for parenting a teenager? And, of course, the chorus of all who have teenagers is, you can't, right? Um, you, we, we think it's just kind of a common thing. You, you can't be ready for that. You can't be prepared for that. I mean, it's just it's difficult. It's new. It's challenging, whatever it might be. But the reality is God is preparing you all the way along because you're trusting God in each stage of development of your child. As the child gets more and more independent of you, we have more and more chances to trust God with his work in their life, independent of us. The same is true in any other experience. God is preparing us in our past for what he has today. If you're going through, you're facing a gigantic issue at the moment, stop and think about for a moment, how has God maybe prepared you for this by proving himself faithful in the past? It says something about our past, but it also says something about our, our, our present. What it says about our present is that God is preparing us in the present for things that he has for us in the future. You ever thought about that? You're in training day right now. You're in training mode. God is developing faith in you today for what he's going to lay before you tomorrow. That's a powerful thought. Sometimes we think of our lives today and we think, my life feels so mundane. My life feels so boring. My life feels so purposeless. I have no idea how this job connects to what I want to do ultimately. I have no idea how this experience is going to ultimately be beneficial for me. I have no idea how this connects to that. We say that kind of stuff a lot. Just talk to people and listen. We say those kinds of things. You know what? This passage would indicate to us that God is preparing us through our current experiences for things that we will go through Tomorrow, God's at work today. And that means if we're under training that we ought to live as though God is training us. That adds purpose and significance to the things that we're going through today. Now, I've run a lot of uh, distance-type running events. And what's interesting, um, is, as I've noticed about myself, is if, I'm, if I consider myself in training, then I'm much more likely to run all of my runs because I realize that they have a purpose in the end. I'm much more likely to maybe even eat healthier because I, I, I see a purpose at the end. But you know what? If I, if I don't consider myself training for anything, it's possible for me just to blow off exercise, right? And that's because we view our lives differently when we see ourselves under training. It adds purpose and significance to the things that we're going through right now. You know, regardless of, of if you're where you want to be or where you think you will be or anything like that, your experience right now is the training ground that God is using to build faith into you for the future. For David, it was lions and bears. For you, it's whatever it is that you're going through. But the reality is God is working in your present to prepare you for the future, and they might not totally match up. You know, uh, people who are headed to seminary will sometimes ask me, did seminary help prepare you for ministry? My answer is an unqualified yes, but it's really more than what they know. My time in seminary prepared me for, for life and ministry and parenting and all that stuff, not just in the book knowledge I learned in classes, but in the life experience that God took me through while I was there. Because God doesn't waste strokes with us. See, God is preparing us. He's developing faith. Because the thing that is consistent in our life in every season 
is God himself. And the most precious thing that God wants from us is, 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 is our faith. So if we learn to trust God today, then we are learning to trust him tomorrow and the next day because God is developing that in us. And if that's the case, are, are we living out a life that is faithful now, understanding how God is using it in his big plans for our lives? See, the first thing we need to do is we need to listen with a spiritual ear. The second thing we need to do is we need to learn from the spiritual experiences that God is taking us through, developing faith in us right now. But the third application that we can see is that we need to lean in life with spiritual expectations. Lean in life with spiritual expectations. This means that as we enter into these events where we're facing these gigantic opponents, these gigantic issues of our life that at one time we thought might crush us, but compared to God, we realize that they're an opportunity for God's light to shine through us. When we, when we head into those things, we need to be leaning onto something. What are we going to lean on? What are we going to trust in as we face the giants of our lives? Well, verse 38 begins to unfold for us a little bit of how this played out in David's life. See, David says, I'm going to go to the valley floor and I'm going to take on Goliath. And Saul says, okay, peace be with you. God be with you. Get, get after it. And then in verse 38, it says, then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and he clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried in vain to go for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these for I have not tested them. So David put them off. See, what Saul was doing is he was providing an opportunity for David to lean on something else. Saul was providing an opportunity for, for David to, to lean on heavier armor, better equipment, bigger swords. Saul says, if you're going to go down to battle, at least wear this stuff. Now, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those little interesting subplots of Scripture. Why did Saul offer this stuff? Well, certainly Saul probably wanted them to win the battle, and he thought that David had a better chance if he was wearing this armor. But it's also possible that Saul was somewhat selfish in this offer. You know, if David went down there wearing his armor, maybe from a distance, somebody would think that Saul was the one who was fighting because the armor would have covered most of his body. Also, if they didn't, did recognize, hey, that's not the king, but isn't it nice how big Saul is taking care of little David by giving him his own equipment to use in the battle? It's possible that Saul had some ulterior motive, and, and David wasn't going to fall for any of it. David was not about to let anybody know around him that he was leaning on anything other than the Lord. And so David picks up his staff, and he picks up some stones, and he heads down to the valley floor to fight Goliath. Verse 41 says this, and the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. Of course he would have. He's been shouting for 40 days. He's nine and a half feet tall. He's got a shield so big that he has somebody in his entourage carrying it for him. Here's little David with some running shorts and a slingshot. Okay? He disdained him, for he was but a youth ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Verse 45, listen to what David says. Then David said to the Philistine, 
You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. Listen to this. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with the sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Where was David leaning when he went into the battle? He's leaning fully on the Lord. Make no mistake about it. David said, I'm going to come down there in such a way that everybody knows that my faith, my assurance, the reason for my confidence, all of that is, is firmly planted on the Lord so that when this victory is won, nobody will say, well, Saul saved David. Nobody will say, well, David sure is a skilled fighter. But everybody would say, look at what the Lord has done. There is a Lord who is with the armies of Israel. There's a God who is providing for his people. David went into that battle firmly leaning on the Lord. Now here's the the question for us. As we face these gigantic issues of our life, whatever they are for you, what are you leaning on as you head into that fight? I mean, it's one thing to determine that God is bigger than that, to listen with a spiritual ear. It's another thing to, to, to understand that God has prepared us for this moment through our past or is using this moment to prepare us for something in the future. But it's a whole other thing that when you face that issue, when you stare it down eye to eye, when you walk to the valley floor and leave the comfort of your tent, when you are face to face with it, what are you leaning in? Are you going to lean on others? Are you going to lean on your reputation? Are you going to lean on your personal strength? Or like David, are we going to lean on the Lord? Now, now what, is that, what does that really mean? What does it mean to really lean on the Lord? Now, I think one of the things that it means is that we recognize that God is the one who is able to work in this situation. We're conscious of that. Uh, being conscious of that is one of the things that propels us forward in prayer. We pray because we understand that God is in control. We understand that God is the one who is able to work in this situation. God is the one to take us through cancer. God is the one, even if the cancer takes my body, God is the one who is able to have my spirit uh, lifted up in the midst of that process. God is the one who is able to restore this relationship, or if the relationship is not restored, God is the one who is able to sustain me in the midst of that. God is the one with the answers. When When we come to understand that, we're leaning on him, then we'll declare that to him in prayer. And after we pray and become conscious of that and remind ourselves of that, then we have to walk forward in actions that are consistent with the truth that God is going to show up in that situation. Now, how would you face a giant in your life knowing that God was going to be there, knowing that God was going to show up? knowing that regardless of what happened, that God was going to accomplish his purpose, knowing that regardless of what happened, that God was going to receive glory and honor, how would you face the giants of your life if you knew that? The fact of the matter is that God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Our God is with us, so we can be confident that he's with us whether we're facing giants or ants. 
our God is with us? What would it look like for us to act consistent with that? That might mean just carrying on, just getting up and taking another day when we're heartbroken or when we're in the midst of the chemo or whatever it is. It it might mean remembering that God is the one who's providing for you that allows you to to not just focus on yourself in the midst of something, but to, to serve and to bless others around you. see, when we lean on the Lord, we're able to respond in different kinds of ways than if we're just trusting in ourselves and we're trusting in our armor or something that we've borrowed. We need to lean on the Lord when we face the giant, the gigantic issues of our lives. You know, we've seen from the passage of David and Goliath that we need to listen with a spiritual ear to learn with spiritual experience. And we need to lean on the Lord with an expectation that He will work. And when we do that, God can shine through us in unique ways. You know what? Uh, Someone who goes through facing a giant in their life, depending on the Lord, you know what those around them are, are saying? Look at the strength that that person has in the Lord. Because they're noticing that that's making a difference in your life. You know, began this talking about icons. David and Goliath being one of them. We talked about how we got it wrong. Because ultimately, God was bigger than Goliath. So the more powerful team actually won the battle that day. I want you to think about that this fall. When OU's playing Utah State or University of Idaho or whoever, and when OU beats somebody 100 to nothing this fall, I want you just to stop and go, that's a David and Goliath moment because the big guy won. Let me pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for providing us with this story from your word that encourages us to trust you more with our lives. Father, I pray that you would just work within our hearts Father, to to help us to remember this so that we might walk in faith to the valley floor to face whatever issues that we're going through. And Father, in a room this large, the the issues are are myriad. Father, I pray that uh, we would be people of faith who would trust you because you are a great God. And I pray that, that everyone who watches believers in Christ in this room go through gigantic issues, that those around them might stop and say, there is a God who is with them because we know that you're here and we know that you're great. We pray these things in Jesus' name.